Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Poplar Propcast. I am your host, Justin Libernet. Today, we're going to do kind of a wrap-up of Q1 2023, just kind of get ourselves on the same page while we get ready for the rest of the year. Probably the biggest thing that happened in the first quarter affecting housing and inflation and all the kind of things around it was the two big banking collapses, right? So we've got Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Valley Bank, not Signature Valley, Signature Bank, they both collapsed to the tune of about $319 billion that they were sitting on. Now, the government came in and made the decision to make all of the depositories whole. So these are all the people that had money in the bank in excess of the $250,000 that FDIC insures. And in doing so, they kind of stopped a broader bank run, which is good. Bank runs are bad. Uh, the other side of that, though, is they did not make the investors whole. So a whole bunch of people that invest in these banks, their entire stake of that is gone. There are also some institutional pieces that had money in there, and that's also gone too. There's pension funds had some investments there, and I'm sure there's 401ks that had some money there. And it's it's those got hit as well. So for us, for our sector, the single family rental game, the independent owner investor, and our renters as well, where this hits is that Banks are going to be even tighter with their money now. They've been pretty tight and kind of been figuring out what to do with it, especially as interest rates are going up so quickly. When the Fed looks at these things and try and figures out if this was actually the break that they've been looking for, I don't know what their consideration is. It feels like, in the sentiment that they've been saying, is they're probably going to maybe have one more rate hike and slow down. They might slow down just because of that break, because it was pretty significant to have two bank failures, especially when it's directly tied to having a problem getting the money to work. And so they were investing in treasury bonds, which then to cover the withdrawals, they had to sell at a loss. And that all kind of stacked up and they were not insolvent, but illiquid. And that illiquidity is what kind of got them. So as the Fed looks at that and looks at the funds rate, that may stabilize, but that doesn't mean that mortgages will be easier to get. It doesn't mean that there'll be more money out there in the environment. All that is still tightening up specifically because of the change in the Fed rates. So as long as the Fed rates stay high, it's going to be a lot harder to kind of roll out of all this stuff and kind of get on to the next spot. Um, this has made everything from just home mortgages to construction loans to bridge loans to uh, improvement loans, even health solar loans, more difficult, more expensive to get, which slows those sectors down. That kind of hits on to the biggest problem in housing right now, which is supply. And the weird thing is, is there's this huge split between single family and multifamily right now in terms of what's coming online. A whole bunch of apartments came online in Q1 and not as many single families did. There were a little dip in starts right at the beginning of the year where we saw fewer buildings uh, holding up under construction. There were permits. So there were a, a bunch of permits are out there, but the work hasn't started on all of those buildings. So single family construction has been slowly growing since about 2010, the permits and starts. But as they go up, we saw this push through uh, 21, 22 and that push was to get more permits and there were more starts. There was a whole bunch of stuff. It was starting to accelerate. Uh, to put it in some kind of context, in, 
in 2006, like right, the housing rush, you've got somewhere like 1.6 million permits out there, but you've got just under a million that are actually under construction. In 2020, we were at about 800,000 under construction with about 1.2 million permits out there. So we saw a a increase from like 2010 when we were at the low, we saw which was like 200,000 under construction and like 400,000 permits. So not a ton of activity, but that climbed. And then it just, it in the first quarter of 23 and the end of 22, it's dropped because of the rates. They're really what's affecting all of this. There is a lot more activity on the multifamily side, but they're also dropping in the last quarter after delivering a bunch of stuff that was in construction through 2022. So that hits in, it comes in and they're delivered. And now they've got nowhere to get more money for to start the next ones. They aren't sure about what the demand's going to be. They're also not sure about the cost to return ratio because of the rents in apartments. Rents in apartments have been coming down in the last six months, which is different than single family. Single family stays strong. And on that single family rental side, there's a, a bunch of reasons why the demand is staying strong there. And it's kind of the rental rates are softening in the multifamily. And that's because there's a premium on this. The groups that we're seeing come in and rent these homes now are a different demo. We'll talk about that in just a second. We talk about age, demo, age distribution of the population right now. But there's fewer listings being put on the market still. We're nowhere near 2020 rates. So we don't have the supply out there that we had back then. There's a lot of people who got in and are under 3%. Like 60% of loans are under 3%. So there's not even going to be an opportunity for those people to move out. They will still move, but they're more likely to stay or hold on to the property if they can and rent it out. That really pulls a lot of stuff off the market to buy. There is this piece there where you also have boomers who aren't sizing down, which is what they used to do. What we're seeing now is that when boomers are looking for another property, some of them are just staying right where they're at. They're not moving at all. They're in the house. They're going to be in that house. That's their house. We have seen, though, that as families become more spread out, some boomers are upsizing. So instead of downsizing, they're going bigger so that the whole family can come and stay at once. Because if you've got two kids and each of those kids has two kids, your home you grew up in may not be big enough to get everybody to come visit from out of state when you have events. So that's that's kicking in on the boomer side. On the millennial side, we're seeing a lot of people who just, one of the biggest things they want is is a yard, a yard to have their dog and have their their friends come over and have barbecues and just have more space that's their own. And so there's that family formation that's different. And you can really see this in kind of the demographic breakdown. The demographic breakdown right now, as of first quarter of 2023, you have the peak boomers are between 55 and 64. And the millennials who are between 25 and 35, those two cohorts are the largest groups that are doing something interesting. In between them, you've got probably the smallest cohort is Gen X uh, and Gen Y. And so when you look at those cohorts and their behavior, the boomers and the millennials behave extremely differently. And the millennials are finally at the spot where they have the opportunity to create households and they're 
different households, but there's this pent up demand because they've put it off for so long. And that was a big part that we saw in COVID. They're still trying to make those households. They're just having a challenge with it. The other thing that's kind of playing into this right now, too, is the Inflation Reduction Act. So one of the things that we've seen is an uptick in the number of people installing solar, especially in the Southwest. And as that ticks up now, for those people that are getting loans on it, a lot of those loans are between five and 10 years. But at the end of that time, and the loans paid off, they're going to have this huge delta where what used to be their electric bill, which then turned into a loan payment, will be gone. And they'll have additional funds there that are going to sit around and be able to be used. And the reason those funds make a difference is because then anybody that buys the house after them gets a whole new consideration. And I'm not sure how that's being valued right now. When I was last shopping for properties, the couple of ones that I looked at with solar on it, it was really hard because you you look at the past bills and you kind of get an idea and you go, okay, this is how it's going to help me in cash flow. But the initial outlay for those solar systems, that's anywhere from twenty to $60,000, depending on the size of the system and the kind of roof and the install. And if there's a battery backup, all those things factor in, but twenty to $60,000 for most solar systems. And it's really hard to get that full value back into the price of the home, which is odd. I thought it'd be closer to original purchase of it, but it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be about half is what gets loaded in less when you're at the higher range. So if you got a $60,000 system in there, it's probably increasing the price of home by $20,000 instead of 30 or 40, which feels more like what it would be. Anyway, all of this stuff goes into free cash flow down the road. And so that's something that's not for this quarter, but this quarter while we're watching installs increase is indicating something that's going to happen five to 10 years from now. So that's interesting, but it doesn't play as strong into the actual stuff in this quarter. That Inflation Reduction Act, though, does play in for why the installs are happening, because they can get that credit back from the government rebates, the tax rebate is there. And so that's why those solars are getting installed. When you look at the other pieces in the Inflation Reduction Act, they're still working them out. So they didn't have a huge impact this first quarter. They may later. Um, but they're just not right now. When you look at the other sectors of things though, right? So inflation has been the big concern. Inflation coupled with rates is just making it a mess. <laughs> but when you look at inflation, the shelter component itself has stabilized, but it hasn't decreased. It's just stabilized. So when you look across at rents, you look across at the whole of uh, purchasing a home, all those are stabilized, but that stabilization as at the increased rates that came in through COVID. So these are, these are great big bumps, and they're just sitting there being super stable and not really doing anything. So that's, that's kind of a macroeconomic block of trends to keep in mind and think about. Uh, I want to pivot and talk about marketing the properties because there's been some big changes in that. So Zillow put out a report that looked at the um, behaviors of people looking for properties. And this is specifically for single-family homes and how many places they tour. COVID accelerated the uptake of digital tools. So because COVID accelerated the uptake of digital tools, Zillow followed that trend and accepted more 3D tours on their website. They started doing uh, incorporating for keyless tours and agentless tours where you just show up and you type in a code or you get an access thing and pop into the property. Those went way up. 
And that is something that people have gotten used to. They don't have to have that question of, okay, well, when will I meet? When will I do it? They're very keen on the quick tours after they've seen a bunch of the house. So those tools, those 3D scans, the, the Matterports, the inside maps, and the really nice photo sets eliminate a lot of properties for them. If they don't have them, they're less likely to look at them. That's from the Zillow data. So they're searching a little bit differently and they're also touring differently. They're doing fewer tours because they're more confident in their selection because of the data they're getting from the website. So this continued in the first quarter. Most people who rented were doing between one and four tours, which is a huge decrease. Most people used to look at five or more houses before they'd settle on the one that they were going to rent. They did a lot of touring because the information online wasn't strong enough to make a compelling argument for them. That shift means that as property managers, as owners, as investors, we have to meet the resident where they are and have that stuff available for them. So Poplar has been doing that for a while. We partnered with both Moderport and Inside Maps. But as an independent owner, you're really going to want to consider some way to do this. And at the very least, you can get like a, a 3D camera or you can do some scanning with your phones and you can get close. There's tools out there that will help you with that. But that's definitely continued. And I think that it will continue to accelerate on the legislative front. There hasn't been a ton of movement in the last little bit of time. There was a bill that went through the Nevada Senate and it finally got to the legislature and it basically is setting up rent control in the state of Nevada where <clears throat> raising the rent would be limited to, I believe it's 5%. I don't know all the details of this bill. I'm going to dive in and read it now that it's in potential for actual passage. Um, it's been it's been picked up in one part of the Senate and then it's got to go to the House and get resolved there. But that, that rent control bill will apply to all of Nevada. With the number of rentals in Nevada, that is significant, especially coming on the heels of 12 to 20% increases annually for a couple of years. There's one in the Colorado Senate that's been working through, and that one's about minimum income requirements for renters. So it sets up that instead of the pretty common 3X is what a lot of people will say you have to make to rent the home, it's going to cap it at 2X. Uh, I don't know what the likelihood of that bill's passage is, but that bill is there and we should be aware of it. So all in all for Q1, we've had kind of a stabilizing couple of factors happen. They were turbulent stabilizing forces. Bank failures are not a stabilizing force. They are a turbulent force. But because that happened, the Fed seems to be recognizing that they're putting the brakes on the economy and that could help both investor sentiment and the federal funds rate. The behaviors of renters has shifted more towards digital tools. They don't like bringing rent checks in. They don't like going to see too many houses. They don't like touring with agents. They like doing all that stuff on their own. And the cohorts that are out there and kind of moving through this housing stock are trying to find places that fit the way they want to live. And all these changes are just kind of continuing on and they're going to be the trends for 2023. They're going to continue to hit on this. If you want to listen to my predictions for 2023, you can go back and listen to that. But generally, we've just seen the kind of stabilization after how kind of traumatic and aggressive the last couple of years with COVID has been. So with that, if you want to stabilize your portfolio, hand it over to us. We'd be happy to manage it for you. Again, we're at poplar.home slash pod, poplar.home slash pod if you need property management services or want to find out more about the company 
or just have questions for us, you know, anytime you want to reach out, we're here. Thanks everybody for listening. Bye-bye.